It is such a pleasure to be with you this morning in worship uh, on this rather warm summer day, although not as muggy as it could be. And Jim Lawson reminded me this morning as we came in that uh, this is probably the last summer that we will be enduring such heat. Uh, we are slated to get some air conditioning in the building next summer, and then from then on, uh, you will be feeling the balm of the summer Sundays uh, in the beauty of the sanctuary and in the coolness of the uh, human-made uh, cooling system. So we're delighted, and we're delighted to have you here this day. The eyes of the heart. Probably at no other time in life is the vocational question, that is, what shall I do with my life, more pressing than the college years. Most students assume that college will prepare them to take up work that will provide an economic edge over their non-educated peers. They may not know the exact profession that will lead from an education at a place like, like Harvard. But their focus is not only on what will pay the bills, but on what will provide meaning for their life and contribute and make a difference in the life of other people. The closer that students get to the end of their university experience, the more urgent the question becomes. How do they know what kind of work they'll be equipped for? And who will assure them that what they're doing is what they are meant to do? Well, university students are not the only ones for whom the vocational question is a live one. As a matter of fact, the question of the meaning and purpose of one's life arises at many points along our life journey. Often the vocational questions are framed as an individual's question. How do I find my vocation? And in the religious context, what is God calling me to do? But in our scripture lessons this morning, for this morning, the question of vocation, of being called, comes to the community, to the people of Israel who are standing on the brink of their settled life in the land of promise, and to the early church who are living in the post-resurrection days, days when the temple cult in Jerusalem was gone, and the growing band of Jewish and Gentile converts of Christianity were shaping the early church. It is one thing to try to figure out what your life path is as an individual. It is quite a bit more complicated to find your way as a community. In our day, there are entire institutes that work on team management, strategic planning, engaging the most fruitful direction for the corporate. Finding a common direction, a common purpose, goals and ideals all fall in the territory of a purpose-driven organization. Mission-driven institutions are held up as prototypes for excellence and passion. And there are many things that fray at the edges of these institutions in our time that calls for multiple loyalties, often a distrust of the corporate and cynicism about the motives of leaders. But our scripture lessons today point us toward a different kind of team management. They lead to questions such as, 
What if the centering drive toward what if the centering drive is toward singleness of purpose? What if the leader of the organization is none other than God, whose track record is one of unbending love, faithfulness to the people, promises made and kept, a land flowing with milk and honey and a bit of manna to sustain the community along its journey? Or how about the complete love of the God-given child, Jesus, who so loved the world, yes, the whole mess and miracle of it all, that he never let his gaze be averted from his passionate love and clarity and high hopes for the community of faith. It was he who gave his very life so that we could step out with boldness for the sake of the world. This pattern of self-giving other-directed mission is a radical alternative to the bottom-line assumptions that drive so many corporations today. The letter to the Ephesians, which happens to be one of my favorite letters, some would call a doxological outburst. It is as if Paul, in penning the words to the community, could not contain the message of God's reconciling and creative grace. There is a passion in this book, and the passion is for the reaching, serving love of God made manifest in community. One commentator says the author of Ephesians wants to ground the power of the church in the overwhelming demonstration of the power of God. And the letter gives the believers a spiritual compass that points the way to a map for life, a new vocation that is no longer dictated by the forces that control them or control us these days, such as economics or political power or even academic. The primary call comes by our birthright given to us by the power of God Almighty made manifest in the body of Christ, the Church, and animated by the Holy Spirit. And this pattern sets in motion the high plane of moral living. This is the inheritance offered to the people of God as seen through the eyes of the heart. And it is the fermenting, awakening impulse that roused the prophet Joshua who led the people to Canaan, to the promised land, to say, as for me and my household, we will serve Yahweh. This is the calling of the people of God and the vocation of the Christian. Presbyterian minister Frederick Beekner reflects on what it means to be called in our time. He says, like words like duty or law or religion, the word vocation has a dull ring to it, but in terms of what it means, it is not really dull at all. Vocare, to call, means a person's vocation or calling. It is the work we are called to do, the thing we are summoned to spend our life doing. James Fowler professor of theology and human development at Emory University and formerly at Harvard Divinity School, enlarges the idea of vocation. 
Vocation cannot be reduced to our work or our occupation, says Fowler. Vocation is bigger than our careers and professions, though it may include both. Vocation is the response we make with our total selves to the call of God and to God's call to partnership. In this more comprehensive sense, vocation refers to the orchestration of our leisure, our relationships, our work, our private lives, and our public lights, and the resources we steward. It is the focusing of our lives in the service of God and in the love of neighbor. The reminder that Fowler gives us is that our vocation or calling is really about the meaning of our very life. And it is to this meaning that churches and universities themselves find their own vocation. In this postmodern day, to lay claim to such a calling is risky business. What business do we have proclaiming much of anything? Both in church and university life, there is a perception that as seekers and proclaimers of truth, veritas, our only role is to lay out the message and the knowledge, and what one does with it is beyond the control or responsibility of those who are bearers of this truth. Yet a church like Memorial Church on a campus like Harvard has a different claim. We are called to lay claim to a vision of the world which understands its true vocation as one in which all God's children may live up to their full humanity and be called into relationship with one another to serve God and neighbor. The true vocation of the Christian is claiming and being claimed by something greater than ourselves. As Christians, we are called out to serve, to engage, to be open to the world in new and adventurous ways. And this means seeing with the eyes of the heart and being captured by a vision so compelling that all else is rubbish. This is a passionate call, a call that cannot be tamed by the logical, rational, self-making adult self. It is more akin to a world that might be led by or inhabited by adolescents and young adults, by the dimension of us that is untamable, unbending to social cues, and that loves the Lord with every fiber of our being. Giving ourselves over to this kind of faith opens the way for God to work in our lives and will astound us as well as those around us. We become vessels of grace, as Kenda Creasy Dean at Princeton puts it. So how might this happen? In our time, the issues before us as a church, or in our connections with other faith communities, or as a nation or globe, are quite overwhelming. You can start anywhere. Try global warming, for instance, when Antarctica threatens to float apart or perhaps serious mental illness, something we encounter kills a person, or when a young person is welcomed into a Bible study and winds up killing his host, or an argument erupts between two people on a bus you are riding on and blows ensue. We live in times where the odds are very high for some horrible things to show up. 
and it's been this way all throughout history. As people who take our responsibility to others quite seriously, as people who are journeying toward the promised land, we want to serve the world with imagination and confidence. We want to respond with our whole hearts to this elusive call God places in our midst. And perhaps, yes, perhaps, we are searching too hard for our calling as individuals and as a community. Agonizing about one's call goes on with students, and that's the most familiar to me, but the young adult years are not the only time in our lives that we are seeking God's purpose. <clears throat> At many junctures of our lives, the question of whether we're living out the deepest and most potent parts of ourselves comes to light. How often have we gone to retirement parties for friends who have spent their years in some line of work and expected that we got there that the feeling in the room would be pity or concern. The thought may go through our head, oh, you'll enjoy your travel for about six months and then the RV or the frequent flyer miles will lose their steamy lure and you'll be in for a real letdown. But then when the speeches are over and the engines are revved up, the look in the eye of the retiree is one of knowing that the labor has just begun or that it will continue in a way that has tremendous potential. They see the grandchild that longs to be held, the flower bed that longs for a drink, the church shut-in that waits for someone to sit with them, the food shelf that needs restocking, the prayer that is spoken to God, who at times must wonder about the stewardship of our lives. And in the wise ways of this friend or colleague, we learn that our vocation is living daily with the call of God that continuously asks us to bring our best selves, our hands and our heart, our feet, to the body of Christ for the world. Some years back, I accompanied 21 McAllister College students to Gulfport, Mississippi, to work with the Presbyterian Disaster Assistance Organization on Hurricane Katrina cleanup. It, was hard, it is hard to describe the scale and scope of the devastation in that post-Katrina world. With five months' time elapsed when our team arrived, there was, there was plenty to be done. It looked like a bomb had dropped on the area of that area of the country, and so much attention on the national and global scale had been focused on New Orleans that the coastal areas such as Biloxi and Gulfport, Mississippi, were not making the news. During the time we were there, the Presbyterian Disaster Assistance folks kept reminding our work team that much was to be done, but the most important thing was listening well to the people that, that were living in that world. It was much more important to listen than even to clean up the debris or mucking out the houses or putting up sheetrock. The stories we heard were quite stunning and all of us were moved to tears on many occasions. But one moment can caught, caught me completely off guard. A colleague and I were in a grocery store on a Sunday afternoon shopping for lunch supplies for our group. The lines were unbelievably long because there were still limited options for grocery shopping. 
As I stood in the line, I struck up a conversation with the man in front of me. Are the lines always this long, I asked? Oh, this is nothing compared to what it usually is. Where are you from? He asked, probably hearing my Yankee accent. I told him about our group and that we were here over winter break with students. He then told me about his experience with the hurricane and how many, how many of his friends and he had just gotten power and refrigeration back that week, five weeks later. He went on to say how appreciative he was of the work we were doing. He asked me what I did, and when I told him I was the chaplain of the college, he was really moved. When we approached the checkout stand and he checked out, he then turned to me as I unloaded my cart and handed me a $100 bill. And with tears in his eyes, he said, here, pay for some of the food for your group. I protested, saying we were here to help them, but he insisted, saying, preacher lady, we are all in this together. You are a blessing to us, and this is the least me and my family can do. God bless you, he croaked out as he left. There are moments when we are called to receive the love of the community that we serve. There are times when the deep passion of the heart extends way beyond our small worlds into something larger and more pervasive. It comes sometimes once or twice, three times or continuously. It comes when our inner gladness meets the world's deep hunger, as Beekner says so well. And so this morning, for Memorial Church, where does our deep gladness meet the world's great hunger? It is powerful as an individual. It is staggering as a community, drawn together by the conviction that God's life and light arises from the bounty of all of us together. And God knows the needs are crying out for the hands and the hearts and the minds to reach with compassion and care. Our call as Memorial Church is to a high and holy vocation, to a vocation that has a call that calls us into the presence of none other than the creator of the universe, God Almighty. The call comes, and we are named and given a task. And out of the bounteous call to a people to take up residence in a land of promise, out of the doxology of that early church that could not contain the love, mercy, and passionate truth of God's gift of the resurrected Christ, out of service to heal, to serve, to lean on the everlasting arms of God, to mount our energy as a community of faith here at Harvard, is a call to plant God's imagination in the life of those around us. This vocation arises from none other than the eyes of the heart, and we are strangely light of heart, swept up in the bounteous joy of God's life planted in this community to serve this campus and this God's world. Let us pray. Speak as only you can, Holy One, and may we attend to your voice in all the avenues we go down this day. Through your Son, 
who calls us to take up our crosses daily, Jesus Christ. Amen.